This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues and ideas that shape our lives with your guide, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Connell. Good morning. Here we are. Here we are. It's actually uh, it's actually a public holiday today and we are in here anyway, bright and early in the yeah. morning and uh, we are digging into the next edition of Thrive Perspectives as we look at the Christian worldview. And we, we came up with a bit of a list of topics and this was the next one we thought would be really good to, to uh, broach in our discussion. And the question we sort of posed is how can Christians respond to questions about the historical accuracy and reliability of the Bible in an age of skepticism? and scientific discovery. So that's kind of where I thought we'd head today, lads. Well, I, I can only really say how I would respond to questions about uh, those uh, those sort of issues, but that's a start. Um, and and it is it is something that, that comes up a fair bit. Uh, mm. It's, I guess, we kind of put up the Bible as the, you know, the foundation of our faith and so naturally... Uh, you know, questions get asked uh, about the Bible, about the accuracy and so forth. Totally. And I think important to recognize that the Bible is, uh, and probably no one will be surprised by this, the most popular book of all time. There's over 100 million copies of the Bible sold every year Mm. or given away, you know, so printed and given away in third world countries, 100 million copies every single year. So, you know, it's a a good question to ask. Yeah. I think it's good to start just with a bit of broad, context around what we think about the bible and and about i guess the foundation of our faith in any case because sometimes these sorts of arguments can be kind of straw man arguments that, that they're i i find they're attacking something that i don't even actually really believe you know what i mean yeah. so you know it's you know for example uh you know when people say you know talk about oh you know the bible and science debates and and uh, well the bible's scientifically uh inaccurate because you know it it, it affirms a you know flat earth and a dome and a you know this yep. it, like and it's like yeah but they're just working with the way that they saw things, you know. It's hmm. and it's not a science, and it's yeah. It's not that it's actually not affirming that. It's just kind of uh, operating within uh, the way that they saw uh, the world. It's and exactly so. It's not a science book. So I think that that's a that's a example of where um, I guess just a misunderstanding of what we even think anyway, and those kinds of approaches tend to eclipse what is actually the, the the real beauty and the profundity of texts like you know Genesis you know 1 and 2 for example which has at so many levels is just such an amazing piece of literary profundity really it's from a literary point of view from a theological point of view it's so incredibly rich and some of those questions when, when you expect it to do something that it's not even Don't out like to it. do in the first yeah. place it actually prevents us from seeing the real genius of the text yeah. um it's the same with you know when when you come a somewhat similar to when you uh, come to for example the historical narratives now um we do we do affirm that uh, that there is histor- historicity behind that because – so I think it does matter that certain things happened uh, in history because God acting in history is a very core part of the biblical faith. We're not uh, – we, you know, we don't believe in a, in a just a distant God and, mm-hmm. and here are some stories that illustrate timeless truths. Uh, they do illustrate timeless truths, but actually part uh, of our faith is that no God has actually done things in history, yeah. and those set up 
kind of a covenant precedence for us today, uh, you know, 2,000, 3,000, uh, even 4,000 years later. So we are affir- affirming that the Bible tells us things about history, but the way that the way that history is told is is not like a history book that's written today. Yeah, yeah. It's it's heavily theological uh, in nature, and that and that takes you know we we have to just have a different uh, approach to to those to those books. It's it's not that what they're saying. Uh, happen didn't happen, but the way that they're reporting it is th- this kind of this prophetic approach. So these books are put together with a theological agenda. I mean, it's this is evident already in the Gospels, where you've got four gospel writers. We'll, we'll even take the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are uh, ordering events of Jesus' life. In comp- they they're aware of each other. Yeah, but they're ordering things differently. <laughs> but they're totally okay with that, and yet they're still saying, "And then Jesus did this, and then he did this." Yeah, but they're organizing things topically and in in a, the events in a way that serves their theolo- particular theological purpose and the audience that they're addressing and the audience that they're addressing. That's yeah. right, and, and you know, and then you've got John, who's conscious already that well, the three the the other gospels already there. Mm. Uh, I'll provide some extra, you know. Yep. So he's, you know, he, so it's a lot more theological, and mm-hmm. um, so they're not they're not writing historical records, uh, y- yeah, like a academic, yeah, like a textbook, right. or a, yeah, or even they're not even trying to be historians. They're, that's right. They're 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 theologians, and and when it comes to like the Old Testament narratives, I mean, they're expressly prophetic. Uh, in nature, they they actually refer to to official court records all the time. It's interesting to note all the footnotes mm-hmm. uh, through you know the books of uh, Samuel and Kings. Uh, you know the, the other events of the of King such Can and such found are in- recorded in the in the annals of the kings of Israel and Judah. Yeah. So they're footnoting that, but they're mm. not they're not that's not what they're providing. Mm. They're they're drawing from those records, you know, to bring a, a message from God essentially. Yeah. And um, it, it, it's not that they're not historically not valuable either because i think they are recognized as some of the most important mm. historical records yeah that's right yeah because there wasn't a lot of uh, especially if you go back thousands of years ago there wasn't yep. a lot of sort of formal record um, keeping <laughs> record keeping and, and that, so it is actually still recognized as one it, it, forget the, even the theological in the biblical part of it, but as far as actual historical records, they are still viewed as some of the most important historical works from the time. But I guess the point is, when they were written, it wasn't to communicate historical facts, even though they do that, but that wasn't the main point that was going to be drawn out of it. It was meant to communicate theological, that took precedence Mm. uh, over it. So, So, you know, if you look at it purely from historical reporting perspective, there may be, as you say, things that are reorganized in order to bring out the theological point, the point yeah. clearer. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And um, so, so I guess that's the first thing uh, mm. to keep in mind, and that, that's just some broad uh, comments uh, about that. The other thing is, I guess, the nature of faith. And there's, uh, you know, I guess um, there's a there's a tendency, particularly in the sort of post-Enlightenment uh, period, for kind of or, or for faith to be seen as faith in a kind of like an object or a body of propositions, or um, and so it's sometimes portrayed as though our faith is in the Bible, 
when actually, you know, our faith is in Christ, yeah. who, who is the embodied Word of God. And and yes, it's Christ reported through Scripture, but but I think there's an important difference because there's this uh, kind of way of thinking that wants to make faith into uh, almost this uh, kind of I sit back, I have this object, this body of propositions here. You know, we we kind of study that and, you know, is this worthy of being an object of, of belief? Mm. In, in, is this a believable thing? That account of belief is a very kind of post-enlightenment account of belief. It's not actually really what faith is. And one of the problems with that is that then we go looking for something that's pristine, like, is this believable? So, so, so what do we do then? We apply the scientific method because, you know, like particularly from the enlightened period onward, that becomes the, the sort of authoritative method of ascertaining whether something is true or not. The problem, one of the problems with that method is that it's based on falsification. And there's plenty of critique of, of the sort of almost the, the sort of totalitarian nature of that theory that the scientific method is is the only way you can verify any true any truth claim at all yes. that's a uh, the scientific method is applies to certain sorts of things but there are not it's not the only way in which we know the truth so that kind of there's there's that need then to establish this this sort of pristine object that is uh in some senses cannot be doubted you know what i mean and so so i think what there's a certain kind of skepticism that em- emerges out of that which has come from this kind of scientific attack essentially yeah. on uh, on on the bible and and this endless process of falsification and there's more to say about this but the problem is that when you start with doubt it Everything can be doubted, right? Everything can be doubted. And when you start with the process of falsification, there's this, uh, it's, there's this, essentially the approach is it's guilty until it's proven innocent. Uh, it's always possible to mm. doubt. It, yeah. You know, it's, mm. well, did this really happen? Well, uh, you know, we have doubts and, mm. and we haven't, mm. we haven't, um, so, so just with ex- certainty, yeah, you know, verified. Just explain what you mean by the process of falsification. So, Instead of starting from a position, we have no evidence either way. Yeah. So instead of believing it's true until we can prove it to be false, yeah. we're believing it's false until we can prove it to that's be true. That's true. Yeah. Yep. Which is and, how and, science generally works. Yeah, that's right. Set out to, so, to so, falsify it. That's right. So you set up a thesis that's and, right. and then you set about falsifying it. Mm-hmm. And if it, you know, if it stands up. The, now, that, that works well uh, for science. The problem, and, 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 and this is applied to history uh, somewhat as well. Now, the problem is it starts... I mean, history is a funny sort of discipline because you get these constant revisions of history with another generation of scholars, and 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 the next generation of scholars is going to take the previous generation to task, and it does. It has a tendency to go in circles because mm. it's it's partly this sort of institutional process, methodological process where. Uh, I'm going to critique and challenge what the last generation said. I mean, you, you, you're not going to get a PhD unless you unless you do that. Really, mm. it's kind of built into the into the academy yeah. in a sense. Yeah. Uh, I, you can't just sort of accept. You know, that there was the, the uh, an older approach is that there's a degree of authority to something that's inherited from the past. If something's been, this is this traditionalist sort of mm. view that that um, if it comes from the past. It, there's a degree of authority because it's weathered, you know. It's it's weathered, you know, the, the eons of time, and so, 
Well, even that's really challenged now because we view the past as they were all sort of ignorant back then, and yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and so, and so we apply, and and we apply what's known as a hermeneutic of suspicion. Now, um, mm. this is the it's guilty until proven innocent because we just assume everyone's lying, everyone's corrupt. Uh, and what and, would they know anyway? Yeah, and look, there's reason for that. And as as Christians, we get you know that that, that with uh, human sin and 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 there's plenty of you know plenty of corruption we're not we're not denying that but they don't they don't have access to all the wealth of knowledge that we have today as well you know that would be the view you know we've got the scientific method we know so much more about how things mm. work and the way that everything's advanced philosophy and and science everything's you know completely changed how we understand sort of everything yeah one of the the, the the problems is so, so while that method works in terms of just the practical results of it, it, it works in some fields. The problem is when when you're looking for a foundation to actually make a decision, a process of endless doubt never leads to a point where oh now we know it's mm. it's once you start how you begin determines where you end up. And so that process of falsification never really ends. You know what I mean? So uh, you know, if we go back to, you know, views on, you know, some ancient empire or, or some ancient figure and, and you know, the continual revisions of, of, you know, scholars kind of rethinking that. and But you never, you never get to a sense of… It never resolves. No, itself. it never really resolves, no. right. No. And so it just goes round and round and round uh, in circles. And, and so, well, we can never know. Now, again, this is, this is the problem with this uh, approach. And you see this, for, for example, in historical events. There's this approach called archaeological minimalism, which says that unless we find real tangible evidence for an event, then it didn't happen. Okay. So, you know, for a long time, it was doubted that the whole David thing that, that yeah. you know, that was seen as being a fabrication. And mm. David was probably, you know, I think they, a lot of people doubted whether he even existed. And if he did, he was probably just a local, unimportant local chieftain, right? Or even the city of Jerusalem being what it was. Yeah, yeah that's time. right. It was just that's a village, right. basically. And because, you know, and so they just assumed that that, that wasn't, you know, it was all a fabrication. Mm. Of course, then, and then they found evidence that actually, you know, the house of David and the, the importance of the house of, da- and, and now they're saying, oh, no, actually, David was an important, uh, you know, leader, in, you know, in the ancient world. Now, there's an example of you've got a whole, you know, like this, you know, generations of people. Oh, yeah, David didn't ever really, either didn't exist or was, you know, was just a local chief and wasn't really a king, of, as mm. the Bible puts it. And then, of course, finally, we do find something. And then everyone say, oh, no, no, actually, sorry. No, no, actually was pretty important. Yeah. Same, you know, it was the same thing with Solomon. That, you know, there, there was this similar view about Solomon that he wasn't as wealthy as you know probably and, and now you know I mean the last uh, probably 15 years they've new new discoveries down in the uh, copper mines right in the south of Israel have verified the fact that oh no actually uh, he was mm-hmm. actually quite as important as probably right. as important as it and, indicates and the reasons they would have doubted those things were probably reasonable to an extent yeah absolutely well well but they're based on this falsification so we don't yeah. have tangible evidence of the fact this was the case so we're going to assume that it wasn't mm. that's you know mm. are we going to assume that this is just mm. a you know a puffed up account it's and it's a myth yeah or it's some kind of myth now you see there's a problem with that approach because it never allows us to uh, if we take that approach you know we're just operating out mm. of doubt and the problem from a christian point of view is that the departure point for us is a departure point of faith 
And yeah. with a lot of this uh, criticism about the Bible, it sort of takes this almost I'm standing back and I'm poking holes in the Bible. Uh, there's a relationship there that is actually, this is not the way that I relate mm-hmm. to the Bible. And I think this is as I reflect on this and as I read books by the skeptics and and, and so forth. And there are problems with those, you know, I mean, I think there are lots of problems with those books because sometimes I guess your approach determines what you see and yes, find yeah, as well. Totally. That's another oh, thing. You can see the obvious yeah. bias in there. I've tried to get to the bottom of this myself reading the skeptics and, yeah. and and listening to what are the best reasons to actually believe the the Bible isn't what it claims to be. Not so much because I don't want to believe it, but because I I always want to feel like I've exposed myself to the best arguments. the best arguments. Yeah. I'm not arriving at this as a as a point of ignorance mm. in myself, because that's often an accusation that's made Anyway, yes. to Christians that mm. you just you just don't know, you're just assuming it, you've never really had a challenge. So and whenever whenever I've gone down that path, I'll start with what I think are those best arguments. And then as you kind of read the response and the crit- the criticism mm. of it, it opens up so many more questions. And before you know it, you're into like conspiracy theories and all sorts of theories about the different dynamics that were at play with each of the, you know, like take the apostles or Paul and what was his relationship to the Jewish authorities and what was he really trying to do? Who was he really trying to... And there's all these kinds of scenarios that are just throwing up. At times I kind of mapped it out and tried to think through all it. And it just like is just this tree of ideas and criticisms that just opens up and it just gets bigger and bigger. And it just muddies the waters. Yeah. And you never resolve it. And at the end of the day, all I've got is a whole collection of theories about what this person could have been doing or what they really meant. And I've kind of stepped back from it because I can't actually resolve it. Mm. Yeah. So, so let's let's try for a biblical worldview, because this is what this mm-hmm. is about, a biblical worldview of the Bible. I mean, yeah, yeah so, exactly. You know, here's, here's a good idea. So when I read the Bible, I'm reading this as someone that's inside this, like I'm part of this, in a sense, this flow, this historical flow that we refer to as the kingdom of God, like God is at work in the world. How do I know that? I know because he's at work in my life, right? Because mm-hmm. what I read in Isaiah from 700 BC is exactly what is at work in my life. Like it's, mm. I feel like it's almost contemporaneous. I can read something that was written 700 BC, and this God that pleads with his people is the same God that's pleading with me in my heart. I mean, it's yeah. the, the, yeah. the, this level of connection and contemporary, you know, contemporaneousness uh, with. With the, it's not like this this object that I'm looking at from this external point of view. Um, I'm I'm reading this and I'm hearing the voice of God speaking to me through this and and so there's a there's this almost immediate connection that I have with the truth uh, of this it you know when I read the words of Paul it's like he is in this same experience that I'm happy now he's way ahead and he's he's leading the way and he's guiding me and so there's this sense in which we as Christians we belong to this uh this um let's refer to it uh, as this kind of historical movement or this flow, this family even. I mean, it's 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 a f- a family that stretches right back to Abraham, yeah. Yeah. and 
uh, a family that has been responding to God very fallibly, but responding to God as God has acted in their lives. And I read about Abraham. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, I I know this God. This is the God that is is active in my life, and. And, and I can read those stories, and that becomes important historical precedence. You know, the promises to Abraham are promises to me. And I walk in those promises, and I see that God is faithful to those mm-hmm. promises. Year to year, I look back and see God is faithful to those promises. So there's this immediacy to my engagement. It's not the Bible is not an object for me. Mm-hmm. It is a living Tradition, when I use the word tradition, I mean that in the best possible sense. Yeah. And that the idea is a little countercultural because anything that belongs to tradition, because in, in modern society, it's all, I guess, we're ruled by the idea of progress and we're moving forward and, and, and the past is all wrong and, and we'll, we're moving forward and getting it more and more right. Mm. That, even within philosophy, is being challenged. You know, the, 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 there is this idea that there are intuitive. Uh, and this is there's a school of philosophy known as perennialism or traditionalism, which challenges that, which says, well, there are things handed down through the past that are intuitive within with human nature that perhaps we've lost touch with some of those intuitions, and and so we need to go back to the past outside of our so-called progress because there are problems with our relationship to reality now with the modern mind. Yeah. It's so buffered, it's so sort of alienated in a sense. This is the criticism mm-hmm. that we can benefit by going back to these uh, you know ancient writings and reading writings from people who are much more porous to reality. I mean, even, look, even reading, for example, Upanishads, uh, you know, which is the kind of philosophical body from the Hindu tradition, man, you know, there's a lot of insight there and a lot of, you know, I mean, Paul says, although they knew God in Romans chapter one, and there's a sense in which when I read the Upanishads, gee, they're really intuiting something. It's it's very bottom up and 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 i don't ascribe authority to that but it's you know that there's yeah. there's value and and merit mm. and, and there's there's truth in in what they're saying so i think uh, all that to say that there's a, that there's an approach i think that makes that idea countercultural the idea of tradition yeah and so as a christian i f- i find myself in continuity with a tradition with a family that stretches right back uh to that you know to that point and and I read these people having the same, you know, they're in this same stream and and they're leading the way. And so for me, it's it's about respect for, and this is a very, you know, Christian idea because, you know, God works through people. He's committed to working through people. Uh, we've covered that idea. And so in order to reach people, he does that through people. And so when God wants to reveal himself, he embodies his purposes in a person, let's say, Abraham, right? Yeah. And he works in Abraham, and Abraham becomes not just a messenger, but the message in a sense. Abraham's life becomes a prophetic message that then fans out from there because God works through people. And if God works through people, then that means it, it's not just uh, in general, that's, you know, not just through humanity, but actual particular Specific people. It has to be yeah. specified. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. you know, it doesn't mean anything. So particular people like mm. Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and so so here is a I guess this family of faith that that's fanning out and and through Christ then becomes this worldwide family of faith um, that I'm a part of I'm a part of this stream so there is this there is this living tradition it's not just a it's not just a static object that you stand out because if you look if you want to find something to critique and doubt you'll find it yeah. you know what I mean yeah. 
uh, and, and we'll, we'll yeah. get to the we'll get to specific things uh, in a moment. But I think that the big picture here, and just starting from this, is is that we're on the inside of this, and that's that level of connection that allows us to recognize the truth of it in a deeper sense. And it's from there. Uh, that faith connection with this move of the spirit through history that we, in a sense, recognize the truth mm. that we're dealing with. So uh, Jesus refers to this in John chapter seven, where, where he says uh, in, in a slight interpretive paraphrase, paraphrase mm. if you want to know what I'm saying is true, then do what I say. If you mm. do what I say, then you'll know that, that, that my words yeah. are true. And yeah. I think that's a really good principle. Yeah, I mean, like the Bible's an easy target because if I can prove that the Bible is untrustworthy, that under uh, uh, undoes your faith, you know, your confidence, your it's your your doctrine becomes undone. You can't have confidence in the resurrection, but the method and so on. The method can't do, see. This yep. is the thing because the method can never arrive at certainty. No, uh, you but, know, and and so it attacks our certainty, but it but they can never arrive at certainty that either. it's untrustworthy yeah. either. Yeah. Because their own method cuts off that possibility. But what I was going to say is, and we fall for this trap, because then we kind of can look at that and go, and many Christians have and have left the faith because of it, is we then think that the reason that I'm a Christian is because of the the trustworthiness of the Bible. That's right, because I've applied... Uh, you know, historical, critical, I've, scientific method to an object. I've text, read it. It's and, convinced and, and me. And I'm like, oh, oh, yes. And now yes. I'm a Christian. And right? then I'm yeah. a Christian, right? Yeah. But actually, it's That's it's it's happens. the other way yeah. around. Where I'm a Christian because of relationship with God yeah. and how He works in your life, and you develop faith in God through that. And then the Bible is there as kind of a, a light that helps kind of explain, you know, the the, the narrative and the the more about who God is yeah. and and so on. But my faith doesn't it doesn't rest on the Bible in the in the way that the critics would want want yeah. it to. Yeah. Um, now there would be a problem if the Bible actually could be shown to be mm. completely unreal and just completely falsified. That mm. would that would be an issue. I don't think anyone's actually successful because there's always arguments and counter arguments and and those who are critiquing it and they don't mean us well. Yeah, when no, they do right. it, yeah, they're, they're right, deliberately yeah. being very disingenuous. In well, they're starting it. with their own agenda, and 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 very manipulative how they present the ads. There's all sorts of issues with it, and I've I've yet to see any kind of compelling reason that the clincher that yeah. they would be able. So, but we don't want to fall for the trap of thinking that if they do raise doubts in my mind about certain things that I can't explain, that that should therefore translate into yeah. a doubt. A doubt in my faith because that's you flipped it all around back to front. It's not actually yeah. how it works anyway. Yeah, that's right. I, I think it's worth saying something about now the history, just getting inside this mm. a little bit because all of that said, there are actual reasons, even from an objective point of view, for taking the Bible seriously in its uh, in its historical claims. But we've we've just got to deal with the problems of historical myth. Let me give you a, an example. And the famous example is the Exodus, right? A very important historical event, right? Uh, um, now, applying that method, you know, you know, people are saying, well, we haven't found any evidence uh, of this mass exodus from Egypt. And, right. and so, um, so therefore, you know, it's it's not true. But it's like, okay, how are you going to? Essentially, what you've got is is a, 
is a bunch of people living as nomads wandering through a desert. Now, I've been in that desert. How you find anything in it, it's yeah. like, yeah. you know, yeah. like there are a whole lot of reasons why we may not have found evidence. Mm. I mean, this is, you're going back three and a half thousand years, right? Mm. You, and, and you're trying to find evidence of a nomadic people, you know, who, who are moving from place to place. They're not building things. They're not, you know, it's, we don't have, we're not going to have the sort of evidence that you usually have of, you know, civilizations. And so the whole, that whole enterprise is, can be, can be mm. problematic, you know, in that, this kind of trying to find uh, evidence for that. Now, I mean, there are some people that claim that they, that have found uh, evidence for that, but I, but mm. you, you see that the whole, that whole approach, it's, yeah. it didn't happen unless we find tangible evidence mm-hmm. for it, is is problematic uh, from that point of view. And yet, like I said, there are plenty of examples where there are things, you know, that that we, uh, you know, that we doubted uh, that now they've found evidence for. Because archaeology is a very young discipline, and yeah. because also it's happening. Uh, I mean, even in in the Holy Land, you know, the, where, where a lot of these events uh, took place, uh, it's it's actually very recent, really, and uh, and it's you know there's still so much to do. So it's fair, you know, we're at a pretty early stage yeah. in terms of what uh, people are finding and and historical investigation. So there's there's lots of good reason to doubt the doubters. Yeah, that's right, because the doubters are often proven their doubt was sort of unfounded. Yeah, that's As more right. evidence comes along. I mean, it's like even with the Exodus, for example, like I've heard the criticism there. Well, you know, if the Egyptians were, say, chasing the Israelites and the the like the seas actually opened up and they were they walked through, for those Egyptians that didn't get drowned, surely there'd be some like it would be just just one of the most miraculous things of the day mm. for people who have seen that. Surely that would have been written about in somewhere back in Egypt, Egyptian history that mm. they witnessed something like that. But but even then, that's kind of like saying, but there's so little records of any kind well, and from that time. And, and they never so record, and they ago. didn't record defeats. No, that's exactly right. Yeah, they recorded right. victories, yeah. not defeats. And, so and the population aren't recording anything. I mean, it's, we think we can write anything down now because we can. But back in those days, there was particular people who were the scribes. So they wrote stuff down yeah. and they did what yeah, they were told right. to do. But, <laughs> you know, I can't remember what the, but, the stats were, but the, like mm. the percentage of information, I was reading about it somewhere, the percentage of known information from what we have in the rec, what was probably written down was yeah. something like, one percent, yeah, and the percentage of that that we've actually dis- discovered or found is just, yeah, you know, like just minuscule. So, yeah. speaking about anything of absence of evidence, yeah, there's plenty of reason to doubt the doubters. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I think that you know there there are some complex issues there with the uh, with the historicity, but I mm. but I'm fine. I mean, I'm fascinated by. Uh, by the archaeology, and I, I've, I subscribe to a biblical archaeology magazine that takes a fairly, you know, a critical approach, and you know, it's remarkable the sorts of things that are coming, you know, coming to light. And there's, there's just so much stuff that's validating the historical narratives. That seems to be the the, tra- the trajectory. So I think uh, getting back to the original question, yeah. uh, Stu, you know, yeah. about the, I guess, the reliability of, of the Bible, and often. It becomes a an argument over, and the word inerrancy is yep. uh, is used. You know, trying to find errors in the Bible. Well, if it's got errors, then now 
if it's got one even, it it discounts everything. Yeah, which is a misunderstanding of what we're even Talking really about. what we're what we even think uh, about the Bible, and and there's a, there's a great uh, Peter ends in in his book Inspiration and Incarnation uses a, a, a great simile that I think is that I think works. He says the scripture pretty much is like Jesus in that it's fully divine and fully human. It is the result of a living tradition. Uh, people, you know, all the complexities of, you know, scribal traditions and all of that is is at work because God, why? Because God works through people and human processes and, but to bring about the result that, that he wants, yeah. right? But what you have is a, a document that bears all the marks of humanity in the sense that it's culturally contingent. It's, uh, you know, it's embedded in history. It has the concerns of history, has a lot of the perspectives of those historical uh, points, uh, has some of the limitations of, of what people knew or didn't know at the time or, or, or so forth. And yet through that, uh, God works through that. And what it is teaching us is that's that's what we're saying is infallible in that sense that God is teaching us through this and and when we talk about inerrancy we're not saying that you know every all of the grammar is absolutely perfect all yeah. of the, you know names are spelt right oh uh, you know yeah it's you know we're saying that what it's asserting mm. is true uh and and so there are so for example you know with you know Genesis 1 we got to ask Ask the question: What is this actually asserting? What, it, what is this making claims about? You know, when it says the waters above the skies, and you know, God separated the. It, we don't. We don't need to say that it's asserting that. It's just operating within an ancient world yeah. view that saw. You know, that there were a sort of watery firmament, and and it's just working with that. What we would. You know, it's describing things phenomenologically, mm. as we would say. The sun comes up. So yeah. They're just describing yeah. the, the way that they sort of saw things, and they're operating within a ancient or eastern cosmology because they're wanting to say all of this is created by God, and they're wanting to correct <laughs> the theological errors, you know, of of their time uh, about the way that people saw reality. So uh, that's a, that's an example of where we have to ask the question: No, what is this actually? Affirming and let's not uh, a lot of the mistakes. A lot yeah, of other stuff that's to, right. That it yeah, isn't that it's, it's you know that it's kind of this textbook of all reality. No, mm. it's doing a very specific thing and and asserting very uh, specific theological truths. Uh, in, in other words, another way of saying that is that every text has a meaning. You know, at, it, it's it's not just to mean. At anything, it's there's yeah. a particular reason why it's written and 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 what it's conveying, and that's a theological message. And we assert that message is true, is the truth. So there's an overarching kind of truth that's in it. I guess where people would struggle is where there are perceived blatant contradictions, because we do treat the Bible as something that we study at an academic level as well. Like we really drill into the words and what those words really mm. mean. And so we're not just standing back, taking the overall truth that it's trying to tell us, but we place a lot of emphasis on the actual language and mm. the meaning and what the, the, the Greek root word of this actually means. And in order to try to establish some kind of doctrinal foundation mm. out of it and so if there are things that look like just straight out contradictions then it raises the question well how much can we put confidence in 
studying the Bible at that at that level. Mm. I've, I've never come. I've never come across anything, and and, and I've looked at all of the, mm. you know, where those things have been pointed out. Often that comes down to different purposes or perspectives, or, mm. uh, you know, it's it's the the limited perspectives of the writers. This is this is when we talk about the humanity. I've I've never I've never come across anything that I would describe as blatant in that you know in that sense. It's just it it depends on what what I'm expecting even. You know, it's like oh no that's fine. I mean they're just they're different perspectives and this person sees it from this way and this person mm. sees it from that way. And to some degree that's their understanding yeah. and that's their understanding but but the contradiction doesn't pertain or what what is seemingly a contradiction doesn't even really pertain to the main message anyway. Yeah. Blatant's probably the wrong word, but there were some things that obvious. Almost all of the supposed contradictions I look at and go, look, any kind of critical thinking at all tells you that, you know, it's it, they're obviously contradicting each other, but you can understand that they're implying different things. You know, yeah. it, it it's uh there's not meant to be a contradiction there. It's it's it, look for example, you know, we're saved by faith, and then later on, mm. it's some would say that it's by work. And if you yeah, if yeah. you don't mean us well, you're trying yeah, to yeah, critique right. the Bible. You could bring that out and go, oh, it says here it's by works, and over here it says it's by faith. You know, sort of which is it? Mm. That's yeah. a common criticism, and it's like, well, you just have to spend like literally thirty seconds thinking about it to realize that there is no contradiction. Yeah, that's or, right. And that's a good example because that's, you know, people say, well, James, who says, you know, we're not just saved by, by faith, but, but, but through works. And then Paul that says, we're not saved by works, yes. but only through faith. They're, they're actually making quite different. And it's actually really helpful because they're making points. James wants us to see that faith works, like faith is an active, outworking thing, and that the sort of faith that we're saved by mm. is uh, is this active faith. So he's making a point that that sits. W- but if you take a, a critical approach, then it's like, ah, oh, yeah, so the, here it, there were some tensions in the early church, and this these represent mm-hmm. two polarized theological approaches. Yeah. Well, it, it becomes then a matter of theological judgment yeah, rather than blatant contradiction. But you don't have to go down that path. I mean, it's easily reconcilable. I understand completely what it's, yeah. what it's, it's not saying that we're saved by works. It's saying that without works, yeah. your faith is like any faith that doesn't have works yeah. it's a, is, is dead. So, of course, if there's no works... You're not going to be. You're What's not the purpose saved. Of your faith? You're not. Yeah. It, it's it's completely obvious. Yeah. But and, but if you just take those words and put them up there next to each other, you look at these tables of apparent contradictions, and they go from one. You know, it's other places in the Bible, it says that we're well when we're saved, we don't sin anymore. Like we. Yeah. And then the other place it says, well, we do sin. And we're not, you know, our salvation's not really going to be complete until, yeah. and and obviously we still sin. Yeah. So it's like, well, which is it? We 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 either do or we don't. You know, you can't have it both ways. And it says both things, but again, it's easy to understand those things. You would only yeah. you'd only attribute meaning of a contradiction if you were trying to attack it yeah. in some way, and you're yeah. being quite disingenuous in that because they're not even theologically complicated mm. to to reconcile. Some of the other ones that maybe I'm not sure, like it says in the gospel that about the women who went to the tomb first, they went yeah. out and they were the witnesses and they told people that, yeah. that, and then I think it's John that says that they left the tomb and told no one. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, it's not a big 
thing theology. This has no real right. doctrinal implication, but it's kind of like, well, that proves did the they whole or, of everything. Did they else or did, is, yeah, did they exactly. not? The fact know? is, they're not in a courtroom. John's yeah. saying something yeah. like he's making a point for the mm. fact they were so bewildered and so that yes, initially they didn't tell anyone. You know mm. what I mean? But that doesn't mean they didn't ever tell anyone yeah. any time. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's the, but the interesting thing is a lot of these sorts of things. I mean, even like talking about the resurrection account. You know, one says that they went out when it was dark. Another one, they said when it was morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, hang on, is, is it, yeah. was it like, which, but I mean, I mean, maybe they left when it was still yes. dark and they yeah. got there. So, I, I mean, honestly, but the, the interesting yeah. thing is, and, and same with the, you know, with the different accounts of, you know, justification through works and, and you know, with James and mm. Paul. And these are all examples that historians now point to as really authenticating the integrity, actually, of the text, because if this is the product of later generations that wanted to present something pristine, exactly. they would have cleaned up all you of get those it right things, right? When you first yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the, the fourfold gospel is referred to in the earliest documents, right? So that had authority right from the beginning: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right? Uh, you see reference to that, you know, in the, in the second century, and so already in a way that 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 clearly portrays the fact that that had had authority for a long time. Those four gospels, mm. now. If it was those were the product of later of you know second century you know fabrications, then the thinking goes they would have cleaned up all yep. of those kind of messy bits, yeah. but they didn't. They left it exactly. Yeah. You know, it's often pointed out they would not have had women as being the first witnesses because in in that particular time, I know this is controversial for our time, mm. but mm. unfortunately in the ancient world, uh, women weren't uh, accepted as, as witnesses. reliable witnesses mm-hmm. in court, right? Mm. So. Uh, they would not have had women as the first witnesses to the, you know, uh, to the empty tomb, and all. There's all these sorts of things, you know, all of those clunky things. Actually, they're not trying to hide anything. That's right. Or make like, anything up. It's here. like when you know, when when you know, police are are interviewing, yeah. you know, uh, people involved, you know, in a crime. If they're all telling the, the exact same story, mm-hmm. and it's just a little bit too identical, yeah. Then they think, ah, oh, this is a bit of a fabricate. They've, yeah. you know, this is all rigged. But if there's, you know, if there's slight variations of perspective, which is natural mm-hmm. uh, for people looking at the same event from mm-hmm. different perspectives with a different interpretive grid, right? Naturally, mm-hmm. you're going to have slight differences. And that's a sign not of inauthenticity, but authenticity. Mm-hmm. And and so I think there's another way of looking at mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Uh, that, that authenticity is sort of reinforced too when you actually look at a lot of atheist scholars where some people would say just reject things like, the resurrection. Some people believe that Jesus himself didn't exist. It was some kind of mm. myth and so on. But, you know, when you actually look at those who aren't necessarily representing, wanting to make Christianity look favorable, the arguments for the the resurrection, well, let's start with Jesus. The arguments for the existence of Jesus in the as described in the Bible are almost indisputable that mm. there was that he existed and he did have that kind of there was an impact that he mm. that there was someone irrespect and it's only it's really seems like poor scholarship to to suggest argue otherwise. Su- yeah. suggest otherwise. Yeah. When you go to the resurrection, you can't prove everything, but there's very strong ever yeah. in terms of what is available to us with anything mm. historically from that period, I think most, whether they're not Christian or atheist, acknowledge that there are serious arguments 
for mm. the the resurrection that need to be be dealt with. Now they try to deal with them, but the point is the fact that they've actually got to wrestle yeah. with them and yeah. academics are wrestling with these things and trying to find answers and explanations for things should give us some confidence that it's not just some completely made random, up. totally made up story here. There is some integrity yeah. in there. We've got a reason to have some confidence in, in what's, what's written in there. Yeah, absolutely. Let me let me refer our listeners to a couple of uh, reasons. Well, one one in particular that I'm thinking of that covers and summarizes. So when you mentioned the resurrection, mm. um, I was thinking of the summary that the inspiring there's a there's a, a group called Inspiring Philosophy that release YouTube videos that are really well grounded in this in the sense that they're tapping into the best of biblical scholarship. So it's called Inspiring Philosophy. You can go to their website. They've got these YouTube clips. They do a great one on the resurrection mm-hmm. and the evidence for the resurrection, uh, where they summarize, you know, some of the best uh, scholarship uh, available. There's also a, a series of videos they do on the integrity of the Bible mm-hmm. and uh, arguments for for taking the Bible seriously from that critical historical perspective. Again, very good, uh, very good set uh, of videos. So I'll put um, those links so that, in the yeah, notes that's, that's on another the podcast. Another yep. resource that people can use: Inspiring mm. Philosophy, because they do go through. At quite an academic level, and, yeah. and distill a, a lot of information down. Yeah, that's right. Into yeah. a way that's it's quite easy to yeah. consume. Yeah, yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, I definitely second that. Well, you know, again, you know, just to just to finish up, I I, I think we, we've got to really be careful when we because the you know the the opening question was how do we respond to people yeah that's right and we should remember this is not an abstract just an abstract issue this is an issue that comes up when we're talking to people right and we've just got to keep calling people into into the inside of this really because there's a, there's a view from the inside that brings a completely different and very validly brings a completely different perspective so that there's not just we're not just talking about this in terms of this just object yeah sort of kind of object subject object uh, approach mm-hmm. and and just you know encouraging people to discover the truth recognizing the limitations of what any textual document is really just a gateway to the truth in that sense like the truth you know truth is is can't really embody, be embodied in a text. A text points to the truth. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, reality is something that we have to embrace. The reality of God and the reality of the kingdom and what God is doing. This is something that we can have a firsthand experience of as we embrace that and become part of that. Even embody that. That's how you discover the truth. And and Scripture is God breathed. As Paul says, all Scripture is God breathed and useful. Like. That's what he says. It's actually, it's like a pathway that we can walk on, right? And when we walk on the pathway and when we step through the doorway, so to speak, that's when we discover the truth. So whenever I open up the Bible I'm reading, even if I memorize the Bible, I still would not yet know the truth until I actually did what it says and went where it calls me to go and embrace the God that is embracing me and calling me. And as I respond and as I get in the flow of this thousands of year old, you know, this the, the start of history, when I get into the flow of what God has been and is doing and will continue to do, that's how I really know. And I think we've just got to keep calling people into that. Remember, we are the windows of that reality. 
for joining us for this episode of Thrive Perspectives. Our hope is that these discussions will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective. You'll find all our resources at the Thrive Today website, thrivetoday.tv. If there's a topic that you'd like us to discuss, please email us. Our email is contact at thrivetoday.tv. Until next time, our prayer is that you will thrive.